Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event. Are you ready? Let's get ready to ramp up your sales. And now the man you've been waiting for, he is the real thriller in Manila. The undisputed, undefeated, reigning, defending, pound for pound, heavyweight, John, the sales machine, Rankins! Ladies and gentlemen, we have a special treat for you today. Joris Spanhoff. He is the owner and the founder of InfoSop, a company that just celebrated its 23rd year anniversary. 23 years, that's legendary to run a company that is not only sustainable, but scalable, and he's found success doing it. He's also uh, the founder of Axel Tech, that uh, is actually a startup that's supplying different customization software throughout the marketplace. And in addition to that, his other company, Power Edge, just celebrated its 20th anniversary, 21 years, 21 years. So this guy is a legend in business, and he just sold off uh, one of his companies that was in the gaming industry that was doing very well as well. As far as the infotech industry goes, this guy is a legend and a founder, so Today, he's our special guest to teach us about what's real relevant right now and how you can take your industry or your company to the next level, just like he has. He's also the main integrator and the number one provider of Acumatica, and his company had over 40% market share in the Philippines. They actually are number one throughout all of Southeast Asia. Let's give him a big round of applause and welcome to his the show, ladies and gentlemen, Joris. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yes. Yeah. So I, I want to talk about your journey because, you know, I'm new in the tech space. You know, I've been running a business for 30 years, but in actuality, building, scaling sales teams. And I never even thought about getting into the tech industry or building software. And, and boy, have I made mistakes and learned a lot of lessons. So I would like to ask you about your journey. Tell us a little bit about your journey starting InfoSoft and then starting PowerEdge. Yeah. So I'm from the Netherlands originally, born and raised there. Uh, I went to school there. I think at a very early age, I always had to drive. I always felt the Netherlands was too small for me. And I always looked at working abroad. Originally, I'm educated in the finance industry. I should have been a banker. So I grew up in the... 80s, late 80s, studied late 80s, early 90s. The time Wall Street, the first Wall Street was run. So that was where I really wanted to go. I actually had an internship in Chicago, New York, and that was, you know, that was my ultimate goal. Until I finished studying and ended with an internship in Vietnam. And this is, this is 1995. So three years after Vietnam opened. I've never been in Asia. I mean, I knew a little bit. I'm, I'm from a simple family. We never traveled further than Germany, you know, a couple of hundred kilometers from my house. So there was a big trip to a completely different world. So I ended up in Vietnam in 1995 and I was very young. This country was very young. I said, okay, this is really where it's going to happen in the next, you know, 20, 25 years. So I scrapped my plans of going to the West and decided to go to the East. I was hired by a company who sent me to the Philippines. 
I didn't know the Philippines. I mean, when you're from Europe, when you're from Netherlands, you know, Indonesia, you know, Singapore, maybe Malaysia, Thailand. Philippines was, was a complete blank for me. I had no idea. I landed here in 96 for the first time. And I was sent here to start a business in the power supply business. So what I'm still doing with Power Edge today. They sent me here, told me, you should open an office and run the place for us here. Uh, that's what I did from 96 to 2001. After that, I went back to Vietnam for three years. I was hired by the company where I did an internship before. That was really great. The country changed a lot already. I worked there for three years and then had a, at that time I had the opportunity to start a business. So I grabbed that because that always was the ultimate goal. So I did that. So within the span of two years, actually InfoSoft and PowerEdge were founded here in the Philippines. So when that happened, I decided to stop working for other people. So I resigned and went back to the Philippines to, to work on these two businesses. So yeah, both, both actually it's of course both tech, but quite different in nature. Yeah, my, my journey in the past 20, 25 years was really grow, growing these businesses. Yeah, that's amazing. So, and you know, there's not many people out there that I know that in actuality are uh, in both the hardware and the software business, right? And you have companies very distinctly doing different things. But I want to go back because I've been in, in Asia since 1995. So I can admire your story and relate because, you know, what people don't understand is uh, the difference in culture when you go to Asia compared to the Netherlands, the United States or Europe. Very different, very, very different culture, very different food. Yeah transportation systems it's all very different and it can be you know a culture shock to a lot of people so adapting and overcoming when i see a guy like you a seasoned veteran that's not only been there done that but made it work and at the highest level because you know both of your companies are multi-million dollar companies and uh that's a significant uh, accomplishment as far as i'm concerned because you're not from here You've not been there, done that, and you didn't even know what the Philippines was all about. And I, I was lucky enough to be in the United States military at 18, right? I was a nuclear-powered submarine. I actually came here in South Korea. I'd known of Asia, but uh, I got thrown into the fire. After here, they said, okay, great. You've broke all the records. We're promoting you to vice president, and uh, we're sending you to Indonesia. And believe it or not, I thought that was in China. <laughs> because I had no idea that there was even an in Indonesia. But anyway, that's just a funny story of not of being in the same space and mindset as you, mind space that, what are you talking about? Where's Indonesia? What, what Do they speak English there, which they did it? But you did this in a very unique time. So I don't want to take away the significance of what you built. And I want to talk to you about in 1998, there was a global meltdown. So before that, and I know because I was here in Asia, I was in Indonesia, living in Indonesia. Yeah, the hardest hit. So, yeah. And before 98, they called us the tiger economies, all of us in Asia. And I, like you, saw the vision of Southeast Asia becoming the tiger economies and, and becoming, you know, global players especially Indonesia, because they have more natural resources than anybody on the planet, right? And in 1998 happened. And my own personal situation there was I had $970,000. Yeah. And my goal 
my goal from since I was a little boy is I just wanted to be a millionaire, right? I only needed $30,000. Yeah. That's it. And I was there. And this is back in 98, right? Well, if you hold it in dollars, you were good, right? <laughs> yeah, if only it was in dollars. <laughs> yeah. But it was in rupiah. You were screwed. Right. Yeah. But the truth is, I had like three or 400000 in dollars, right? And I'd already bought my mom a house. But still, I didn't have that million, right? And that was a significant fact. I wanted the million. And uh, overnight, that $970,000 was chopped in half. Less than half because the rupiah went from 2,500 to 15, I think. No? Oh, yeah. I, 15 would have been terrible as well. But no, it went to 17,000. So the money wasn't even worth more than toilet paper. It was devastating. So you opened your business in 96. No, no, I came here in 96. So one of the, you have to get lucky sometimes, right? So I think I got lucky that time. One, I was employed. So that time I was still employed. So I started, uh, InfoSoft was started in 2001. So that was after the Asia crisis. So I learned, uh, went through that being employed, right? So that honestly helped a lot. I'm sure my, my the people I work with here, they, they, they suffered. Second, uh, I was financially educated. So I think I, I very quickly understood what was going on, right? So, and I think that's how I survived. I mean, I was sent here by a Dutch Swiss company to open an office here. And so were about 10 colleagues of mine that were sent to Indonesia, Malaysia, Hong Kong, China. And I survived it because I think I, with that background, I knew what was going on and I knew what it would, you know, to take as little risk as possible. So yeah, I survived that period. Partly on expense of somebody else because I was still employed, so it didn't really affect me personally. And I think part, I quickly understood what was going on and worked with that. And because of that, made the business sustain uh, here in the Philippines. So I got through that period, learned a lot. Excellent. And so you started off in 2001 and you started both companies at the same time? Uh, not, yeah, but within a short Short period of time, yeah, 2001 and end of 2002. So within a period of two years, they were they started. Okay, and so we're always about what's real relevant. What did you learn from the crisis, and what do you think when you started your companies that you did differently, knowing what you knew, having worked for someone else to future-proof your business? Yeah, what I learned there from that that period. Yeah, yeah, leverage. You really have to be careful with leverage. I mean. It's very traditional. People will beat you up over it many times. But what I really learned here from the people, I had a lot of local mentors here at that time, is you really have to be careful with money and really be careful borrowing money to to, 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 borrow, to, to start a business. So what I learned and what I still teach a lot of people, I mean, nowadays, I think people want instant success. So they're not shy to borrow, especially in the past few years when it was free to borrow money, right? They, they borrow a lot and... I'm old school that way. I mean, I'd rather grow it a bit slower and do it with my own, you know, with my own means, with the profit of the company, with, with whatever I saved or my, my partners to invest in it and be really, you know, really careful. You know, Charlie Munger, you know, I mean, he recently passed away. Yeah. The three L's that will kill your business, right? Ladies, liquor and leverage, right? Yeah. <laughs> So I think that's what everybody learned in the, are supposed to have learned in the Asia crisis. It was leverage that killed every. I mean, the, those that went down were, were leveraged businesses. And a lot of people didn't learn because it's still happening today. I mean, today the China real estate 
businesses is collapsing because of leverage, right? You heard that, folks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So don't let it happen to you, all right? Yeah. I mean, ladies sometimes you need... And <laughs> ladies and liquor, all right? Yeah. And, uh, and ultimately leverage. And I, I mean, agree. So, so, sometimes you need it, right? I mean, it's it's. I, I know that the flip side of this, sometimes you cannot run, you cannot build a business without borrowing. So sometimes you have to. Even personal, you need to take out a mortgage to buy your first house, right? You should, but uh, I mean, my message to any other business person, even personal, is you have to be really careful of borrowing and make sure you can, you know, you can afford it. I 100% agree. So, you know, I'm even in the process myself. I bootstrapped the sales machine. Obviously, when you're in the tech industry, I've spent over a million dollars and uh, we're still fine tuning a lot of functionality that our customers want. And uh, I'm always about where's our runway? You know, and I'm always checking in be, to be responsible because if you don't know your runway, folks, you can get in a lot of trouble. And I work with CEOs from all over the world. I've worked with CEOs in Europe and currently I'm working with someone in Australia. And uh, the first thing I, I ask people is, do you know your numbers? And uh, they're like, what do you, well, what do you mean about my numbers? And it, I'm like, it's not just cost per acquisition of customer and it's not just, you know, how much you're earning right now. But, you know, what about your expenses? Where are you going to be in the next year? Your runway of actual money. Because if not, like you said, worst case scenario, you're going to have to bring on some funding. You know, for me, I want to know my runway because I feel responsible for my people. That's the bottom line. When, whenever we sign a contract with someone and we bring them on board and give them an opportunity to me, that's a commitment from me saying, look, I'm going to provide you with the future. You know what I mean? And I don't know that a lot of people see it that way, but that's the way I see it. Not only growing my company, but growing my people, because otherwise I feel like I'm being irresponsible. And I don't think anyone wants to be in that situation. But when it's other people's money, I think people treat it differently. Definitely. Yeah. You know? Uh, did you ever have to raise money for any of your yes, companies? Yes, of course. Because when I, I mean, those days I was okay, right? But I was employed. So like I said, I'm from I mean, humble beginnings. I, I don't come from a rich family. I did work for a couple of years, but you know, uh, at, at the okay salary. So yes, I did use all my savings. I know it was going to happen. I was, I was single. I didn't have dependents. So I was able to save in the first few years that I worked, right? That I was employed. But yes, definitely, when I started the business, I had to ask uh, friends and family. I mean, I didn't go beyond that. Also because in the Philippines, it's, it's impossible. The Philippine bank will not give you money when you need it, and they will start giving it, I mean, offering it to you when you no longer need it, right? So yeah, I had to. And my goal was always, I mean, again, I have the financial background. I do know my numbers. I mean, that's really my, also in the business, the part that I really look after. And it was, I know I needed it. I took it and my goal was always to get rid of it as soon as possible. Thank them for what they did for me and, uh, and make sure I could do it on my own. So yeah, the first few years, that was always my goal. I know I needed and what number I needed to get rid of that, that, uh, that. Right on. And I'm sure you rewarded the people handsomely. Yes, I did. I did. They're all good friends of mine because I had to go family friends and, uh, they were all friends of people also that I knew from the business. They were happy to do it and we're still good friends today. Yeah. That's the, also the. How to lose friends is, uh, you know, uh, borrowing and not paying back happens a lot, right? So, yeah, no, they're all good friends and still supportive. That's outstanding. You know, even though I know I'm good at what I do and I consistently work, 
right? I don't like debt, especially to friends and family. Like it, and what you did was like what they call a seed round, right? Yeah. For me, if I was to do a seed round, I would want to do it with relatable professionals rather than with, with the uh, yes, yes, or friends. Friends would be cool, but family, yeah, I think I would be out. <laughs> no, it was friends in the business, so they knew what we were doing, so they understood what we were doing. I think that's important. So they don't get impatient. They know what it you know it takes to make this the business successful. So that's one. Yeah, two. It needs to be somebody from from the industry. I mean, like you said, Oxaltech is our startup. I know I need funding at a certain point because we're going worldwide with that business, and that will be a growth that I cannot or don't want to finance. You know, uh, personally, right? So I'm gonna need it there, but I'm gonna be very picky in who to work with. It has to be apart from the capital. There has to be somebody that will really add something to our business. I think that only then it makes sense. Yeah, and so that goes back to what you were talking about with leverage, and I think leverage is a superpower. Yeah, right. Whether you're leveraging relationships or you're leveraging money or investment, because otherwise you cannot compete on a global stage. It's one thing to say you want to go global. It's another thing to be able to fulfill it because it takes a lot of talent. It takes a lot of resources. That's just reality. And for me, the greatest resource in the world is my own resourcefulness, right? And even that can be leveraged by building relationships. Yeah, that was a, of course, that's different leverage. I mean, you leverage on, on the relationship, on, on friendship, on, on, I mean, you can leverage on many things, right? The, the three L's I mentioned is really leverage borrowing from the bank, right? At an, at an interest rate. That's the one you would try to avoid, really. Yeah, absolutely. And so, but I love the conversation we were having earlier because you manage these companies and it's well over. I know that you have over 150 people at InfoSoft and Excel Tech. Yes. Excel Tech. And then you got another 80 people. That's a lot of people's lives that uh, you're responsible for. It is. And I think when you, I mean, the all Filipinos, I mean, I'm, I'm both businesses. I'm the only foreigner. And I think what's different here and from other countries is it's not only those. It's You multiply that times five. I always say you have to multiply it times five because every person that works for me supports at least five other people, being, being their children, their sisters, brothers, parents, spouse. So, yeah, it's a big number. I mean, not super big, but... Uh, no, it's I, a I, big I th- number. I, th- I think about it often, yeah, that the, the impact you have with the business on the life of other people. Yeah, yeah no, it's huge. And, you know, I, I've lived here since 2010, and I know, right, most of the my people also are breadwinners, right? They send their... Even if it's not their brother and sister, they'll send their nieces and nephews to school or they'll sponsor them in some way or they're taking care of their mom and dad already. It's huge. Does that ever wear on you? I th- it used to. It used to. I think on the one hand, you get used to it. On the other hand, of course, we're we're 20 plus year old business now. So we, we I mean, we, we can manage. Right? Yeah, so the, you but hit yeah, a tipping it, point and that's what yeah, I want to talk about next. Definitely, yes. That's always re- really important to me is providing my people with opportunity to go from ordinary to extraordinary. Obviously, you know, they have, I'm, my expectation is people go the extra mile. If you want extra, you got to do a little extra. Oh, definitely. Yes. Yes. Right. That's just my mindset. But obviously when you started these companies, 1998 was a crisis. You started them in 2001. What was the steps you took to make each one of those successful and what was the tipping point? Okay. Those are, 
difficult questions because it's a it's many things it's not a single it's not a single thing i think so many things of course your people that i mean here but anywhere in the world that will you know it's really about the people you partner with and the people you hire right so you have to be very careful with that i was lucky there because i worked here as uh, employed for a couple of years before i started my own business so i had a network of people that i knew and i knew who i wanted to work with so i either made them a partner or hired them to, to work for us so of course that's important and how you work with them i mean you make them partners create a culture i think the reason both companies are successful today is because we have a really good culture within the company so i'm sure i contributed a lot to that i mean i'm from holland we're no nonsense so in our company we have a really no nonsense culture so building that i think is very important in our case, also the partners you work with. So in case of PowerEdge, we work with uh, General Electric, we work with ABB. In case of uh, InfoSoft and Axeltec, we work with Microsoft, we work with uh, Acumatica. There also you have to be very careful who, who you work with, what's the relationship, how deep, uh, you know, how much do you let them, you know, dictate your business. That's important. And then your customers, you have to choose them well. I think anywhere in the world, but especially in the Philippines. I'm really critical when people come to me, even if it's a good deal on paper, even if it's a good deal bottom line. If it's a customer that I believe is, you know, does not meet the criteria for us to work with, we, I, I will let it go. You have to learn and that, that's difficult, especially in the beginning, because uh, of course, when you are small, you have to take risk, right? And we did. I mean, I can say that now because we learned the hard way. I mean, that was not how it was from day one, but uh, yeah, we, we learn. you have to learn who to work with, both sides. So input side, supplier side, who are your partners there and the customer side. You have to be very careful who you work. I absolutely love that. And for those of you out there listening, you know, these are golden nuggets because ultimately you got to understand. And I learned a long time ago, one of my mentors said, your money or your people in the crisis, you know, in Indonesia, I lost most of my wealth. And I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? And he goes, well, your money or your people, you keep your people. Eventually you'll get your money back. And when I asked you what was your tipping point, I love the fact that you said, well, it's never one thing because it's never one thing, you know? However, there can be a tipping point by incorporating. So like success is more like a combination. You have to go through a lot of different series of moves in order to open the safe, right? In order to really make money. And um, yeah, I'm all about people. I'm all about culture, especially because, you know, the more drama, the more toxic and what's funny is we live in this culture and you know one of the biggest things in this culture is chismis yes and a lot of you yeah. listening internationally you might not know what chismis is but i can tell you it's gossip it's talking about nonsense or nothing that's relevant right now and um, it's it's favorite pastime here yeah, and it's yeah. kryptonite. <laughs> yes. It's kryptonite for a culture. Yes, it is. You know is. what I mean? I got yeah. no time for it. So we do that. So very, I'm very strong in the culture, and we do remove people from the company because of that. So I will get people in and within the first six months, and then in the Philippines, after six months, you have to decide whether you make him a regular or let him go, let him or her go. And yeah, we do let people go. Even they perform on the number part, I will still let them go because I know they will deteriorate my culture. And that's worth a lot more than the numbers they bring in. But again, it's something that you, you know, it, it's it's easier to say than do, because especially if you're small, you know, if the guy brings in the numbers, which is, but he's an asshole, you're still going to keep him because you need the oh numbers, boy. right? Yeah, <laughs> you need the numbers. But oh boy, yeah. another <laughs> one of those guys. Yes. 
Yeah, I yeah. just I just recently parted ways with an asshole. <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah, and you know, because it's just toxic. Uh, you know, sometimes yes. people let their ego drive them, and they forget about how they're treating people, and that's toxic, right? So for me, I, I love to protect the culture, but I always come from a place and space of empowerment, and I love to give people a rope so that they can pull themselves up or let them hang themselves. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> because, you know, I'm going to empower you one way or another. To move forward, onward, and upward is my goal. Otherwise, all the best and God bless. We cannot have toxic culture. So I love the way you put it together. Leverage, people, culture, partners, and customers. So I just recently turned down a deal we were talking about earlier. Yes, yes, yes. You know, I don't want that customer because they're gonna become more of a problem. And whenever a lot of customers are out there for a lot of you businesses listening, if it's all about the price all the time, understand they don't see your value. They don't see your value. And you know what it's gonna become? It's gonna become a problem later. You might as well handle it sooner rather than later and walk away from the table because it's just gonna cause you more problems. We do it, I do it sooner. For me, it's standard. If I if I'm involved in the sales and I'm involved in, you know, in initially getting to know the customer, I was always, I always drop the line. If you're looking for, you know, the least cost solution, the cheapest solution, we're not your guy. I mean, let's just part ways right here, right? Uh, we're always the most expensive or among the most expensive money-wise, you know, amount-wise. But uh, yeah, you have to, to deliver on that. Uh, you need to find people that see the value of what, not only the product or the solution you offer, but what you offer as a company, as a team, right? Because you might have a very good solution. Uh, we have like, like say Microsoft Archimatica, there are a lot of people who sell that, but some of these companies can sell it, but they cannot implement it, right? So, and, and that's the most important part because if a company buys it and then they are stuck with, with a provider who doesn't know how to implement it, it's gonna be very costly and very unsuccessful. I'm a big fan of Zig Ziglar, ah. right? And to me, as far as sales, I resonate with him more than anybody on the planet and the history of the world. And I've interviewed, you know, the best of the best, but he says sales is all about three things. Number one is service. Yeah. So you don't need to be nervous if you're in service. Right. And I say this all the time and sales is a joy for me because I know I'm, it's something I do for people, not to them, but then it has to solve their problem. Right. So it, his whole gig is come from service, solve a problem, but most importantly, make sure they're satisfied. And until you do that, the sale is not complete ever, right? <laughs> Otherwise, you know, and you sell something and you can't fulfill it, then you become a false prophet. And those are short-term businesses. Yeah, there'll be no relationship. And I think for all the businesses we have, it's, it's about the long-term relationship with them. We were a 20 year old company and we have customers 20 years old. And that's really what we, what we build the business on. Yeah, and that's beautiful. Yeah, it is. That's awesome. So what do you think? I mean, AI is here now. You obviously run very successful companies. I admire that. You're not just one, but two. And I've been in business for 30 years. And believe me, they haven't all been great years. Yeah, same here. Don't worry. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I and, and I'm not surprised, right? Because I know what it takes to get there and then be sustainable, scalable. But for people out there, in any way, did you ever have to pivot your model, your model of selling or your model of your culture or the model of your customer base or 
your target market, especially we just went through COVID. Have you ever had to pivot? And what did you do to do that? What do you mean with pivot? Pivot, like move into a different industry or fulfill a different industry or take on a new value proposition like you did with Acumatica. Yeah, not because of COVID, but of course, yeah, through I mean, in the development of your business. I mean, there's no way you're going to get it right at the first time, right? So I think that's the most important message also. There's no instant success. There's no fast success, really. So what you st- I mean, what I started with is not the business I have today, right? A lot of things change in many fields. So the suppliers change, the people change, the partners change. Because you learn and, and you try to improve it every day. I mean, that's what you do when you run a business. So yes, so we changed many times directions. But I think the core was always there. I mean... It's good. You have to adapt always. You have to look for different ways. You have to innovate. There, there's, I mean, there's things, te- especially in the technology side, that are there now that weren't there a year or two years, especially 20 years ago, right? So you have to work with that. But I think the core has to be the same. I mean, for us, I mean, you, you decide to do a certain business. What I see a lot is when it doesn't work, businesses, they, they really go from left to right. And then it, for me, it actually really never really works or it works for a short time and then it fails again. So... I think the core has always been the same and then you adapt to whatever is thrown at you and something will be thrown at you almost every single day and then you just have to deal with that. Yeah. Sometimes the changes are, are big because it's a big event like COVID uh, and sometimes I, I think most of it is gradual. You learn, you adapt, you change there, you change. Uh, like I said with Archimatica, we added them as a partner because we had some issues with the old partner and that's how it grows and it turns out it, it changed our business completely. It wasn't it wasn't the intent, but we did something for a certain reason, and it turned out it worked out completely different from how I expected it to be, but it worked out great. I loved your success formula. I actually wrote up a guide for CEOs and for companies that I work with, and um, even for my team. It's called the Ultimate Success Formula. And so what I'm hearing from you is for your Ultimate Success Formula, the core of it was, number one, your people. Number two is your culture. Number three is your partners. Yes. Four is your clients and customers. Choose wisely, folks. Yes, all the, with all of those. Yeah. Every single one of those. And that way, you don't have to pivot or panic because a lot of people in COVID panicked and very few pivoted. I also stuck to our core and we tripled. But ultimately, what I'm hearing from you, if you want to run a sustainable, scalable, long-term business, these are the four success principles, your success formula proven that works, not just with one company, but two, Camo. I'll add time to that. So really, it, there's no instant success. You need to find those. It take, takes time to find those and you need to be patient. I mean, it's really, I can honestly say, I, you know, I run successful businesses, but it took 20 years to get where I am today. Yeah. You need to be patient. That's right. Yes. So that's priceless. Priceless and, and hard to find nowadays, I think. Yeah, because no one wants to do the work, right? They want it to yeah. be an overnight success. Instant success, is, that's the way it is now. And of course it happens and, and people who have instant success will, will blast it out and everybody will admire them for that and want to do exactly the same. And that, yeah, it's not going to. Yeah, well, there just, you just go, buy, folks. Uh, just buy a lottery ticket. You have more chance of having something instant. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. if you start a business, guess yeah. what? It's almost like a lottery ticket today. If you expect success overnight. Not going to happen. Exactly. It's a losing lottery ticket. So love your ultimate success formula. We'll end it on that. But I want to know, what advice would you give for companies right now 
that are struggling, would it be go back to that success formula of those five principles? Probably, yeah. You need to evaluate all those. And I think if you're struggling, the most important is to be honest, right? I think what in human nature, but what you see a lot, what I see a lot with I mean, our, men, our mental other business owners is they're so stubborn, right? I think you have to be stubborn to be able to become a good entrepreneur. It can work for you because you'll be driven, you'll be determined like that. It can also work against you. And that's what I see a lot in failing businesses is that they stick to it for too long. You have to know when to say goodbye. You have to know when to let it go. Be it your partner, be it your your customer, be it your your staff. You have to really always find the courage to to turn it around if necessary. Priceless. Yes, I think so. I mean, Priceless. Yeah. Thank you so much, George, for <laughs> Thanks, being on today. You're an absolute legend. So obviously, do you do any kind of uh, partnerships or if people want to find you, contact you for partnerships, where do they go? Well, you can look for me. Right, me personally on LinkedIn, you can find me. It will show what I do, right? And of course our businesses. So Power Edge has a, has a website and social media. Axel Tech uh, has that and Infosoft has it also. So if, if you want to work with us or work with me, just look me up and uh, we'll be in touch. I definitely do and I definitely will. Thanks. And thanks yeah. for being on today, man. I love your humility. I love all about your success and especially your ultimate success formula. Thanks, thanks. Happy to come back anytime. All right. Thank yeah, you. Great, great. Have a great day. You too. That's a wrap, folks. Thanks for joining me today. And if you got value from this episode, do me a favor. Like, subscribe, and refer a friend. And if you want even more value, go to thesalesmachine.com. Click on resources. And there's tons of resources there to increase profits and drive performance in your business. Right on, right on. Come on.